Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us for the 496th episode of the Hollywood Reporters Awards Chatter Podcast. And the second one that we have had the pleasure of doing here in Cannes, for those of you who are tuning in as opposed to joining us here in the room, I will note that we are back in the Campari Lounge within the Palais at the Cannes Film Festival, the belly of the beast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg our executive editor of awards coverage at The Hollywood Reporter. It's great to be with all of you and great to be with one of our greatest actresses who I last had the opportunity to interview on this podcast in 2016 for our 34th episode. So there's been a lot of activity on on our end and certainly on hers over the time since. Given how much she's been up to over the intervening years and that she is the star of one of the most anticipated films in competition here, this festival, Kareem Anuza's Firebrand, in which she plays Catherine Parr, the sixth and final wife of King Henry VIII, I feel like we are due for another round, and so I'm thrilled that she agreed. At just 34, she is already an Academy Award, SAG Award, and Critics' Choice Award winner, a three-time BAFTA Award nominee, a two-time Golden Globe Award nominee for her performance on HBO's 2022 limited series Irma Vep. She is now in the running for an Emmy Award nomination, and I suspect that when people see Firebrand, this list of accolades is going to grow even further. Suffice it to say that she is, in the words of one fan, quote, the biggest Swedish export since Ikea, close quote. (laughs) And so it is with great thanks to Megan Moss and Emma Jackson from her team, to Ryan Werner and Rachel Allen from Synetic, from THR, Allison Smith-Pleiser, Curtis Thompson, Stephen Wiesar, and Nicole Onofre, to everyone from Campari, and to our original producer of the podcast, Dara Takash, who's here with us. We thank all of you. And without further ado, would you please join me in welcoming Ms. Alicia Vikander. Wow, I didn't get to have that kind of entrance last time. (laughs) That's true. We were in a little dark studio. This is better. So thanks for uh, making the time. I guess just before we get into the whole story of your life and career and all of that, you've been at Cannes now, I think it's like this is 11 years since your first visit. Can you talk about the different occasions that have brought you here, including, I think, the last three in a row, or at least you've had work here last three in a row, and just what makes this place so special? Yeah, um, the first time I, I was here, I was here with um, Toba Swedish Expo, but a documentary about Ingrid Bergman. Yeah. And being here, and, you know, this is a festival that I grew up, you know, looking up to, and I think I, you know, been following those images on that red carpet since I was a little child. So that was, you know, a, a huge moment. Um, what was it, 12 years ago? And I think you said your introduction to Couture? Right? Yes, I re- yeah, I remember. Uh, I, I, came, I, I actually, that was even a year before that. Um, I was here, they were selling um, a royal affair, a, a Danish film I was in. And then when I was here, they were like, do you want to walk the red carpet and go and watch one of the premieres? And I was like, yeah, but I, I mean, I don't, have, I don't have a dress, so I can't, <laughs> sorry. And then they invited me up to one of those um, rooms, one of the couture brands, and I, I got to try on a dress and, you know, 
I was absolutely stunned and I remember I just took tons of photos. I probably thought that was my one and only time I was going to get to do that. Um, and yeah. we should just note, since then, 2021 was Blue Bayou. Blue Bayou. 2022 was Irma And now here we are with Fireman. First Fire time Man. in of official competition. First so, time, yes. Yeah, so it's a first. You're ready, to, ready for the fight this time, right? <laughs> no, I'm just thrilled. <laughs> All right, so let's go back to the very beginning, if we can. Just for the record, we've sort of talked about it in the intro, but where were you born and raised, and what did your folks do for a living? Um, I was raised in Gothenburg, uh, second biggest town in Sweden. Um, my mother, Maria, uh, my father, Svante. Uh, my mother was an actress, and my dad is still a psychiatrist. So it's a great combo for this issue. <laughs> so performing of one sort or another showed up in the picture very early. How much of that was just having been exposed to what your mother did and how much of it, because I, I think it, it was initially dance, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it's hard to say where it began. I mean, I think in my like, love for music and dance and theater, that, those things, I, you know, has been my entire life. But I, uh, and in one way, I mean, I, I was... Growing up, my, my parents divorced when I was very young. So when I lived at my mother's house, you know, if she couldn't have a babysitter, I was always at the theater. So I was kind of living partly out of the wings. So I kind of grew up, you know, watching her. And I thought, you know, for, for, for a big part of my life, that was like kind of a normal thing, yeah. just being around those actors and on that stage. But then I, yeah, I, I think, you know, at age, yeah, I got in um, when I was nine to the Royal Swedish Valley School. And then obviously also because of the time <laughs> when you when you're there you kind of dance like you know in the end about six hours a day at least six days a week so it takes up a lot of your time and eventually maybe not unexpectedly for many young people i guess in that situation was there a bit of burnout did you want to try other things at a certain point yeah i mean <laughs> i think during throughout my life like you know, when things are hard or tough, I just try to go back in my head to what it was like in ballet school because I don't think it gets much tougher than that. And I mean, that's also why I still, when I, you know, I do know what they go through. And, you know, I, I was, when I was shooting on my bed, actually, I got the chance to go to the opera house and watch some ballet in, in Paris and, you know, seeing what they do. I mean, the, the woman actually did um, Juliet that night. I watched Romeo and Juliet. I went and saw her backstage. She had a broken rib. And she was like thrown up in the air like about 80 times and like thrown on the floor. And she was like, no, I mean, it does hurt if I laugh. <laughs> so, well, that's kind of, you know, that just shows. I mean, that's, and I guess at some point I was like, I, you know, I don't know if I could live my life like that. No, I mean, but then I, um, I think actually the, the last year when I was in ballet school, uh, you know, you kind of, through, you had to like do a kind of internal auditions to get whatever part for the last show. And I, you know, I, I managed to get a really good part, you know, a ballet part. And I was very happy about that. But in the other, I was snuck in and went, I wanted to try and play the witch in Giselle, uh, which is, you know, actually in history it was more men who did that part. And I was like, I want to give it a try. And then I got to go in and just mime. And then I got to do it. And I realized I prefer to do those shows more than doing the ballet, actually. And, the, you know, so that was maybe a little bit. <laughs> well, so there was a, so you leave dance school at, what is it, like 18? Yep. And what goes on between then and the the sort of role that first brought you to, to international attention, pure, you're, I mean, you were very close to going to become a lawyer, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I got into law school, like on my books, and it was like the first week when I was like about to start. Yeah. And then I, I was working in a like Levi's store, I remember, and I got a call. I, I remember I was in this, you know, cabinet with all these shoes and someone called and you're like, you have an audition for like a leading role in a feature film. Uh, I, I remember, you know, that moment so well. And I was like, you know, I, I ran home after work and I started to read the scenes and quite quickly realized that, wow, it was not just any part. It was like one of those roles that are not given to young women very often. And it was a real challenge. And 
Uh, then Liz uh, Langsett, who was the writer and director, I mean, she probably, I mean, she took me in for like four or five auditions, I think. Kept it going for yeah. a while. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, up to that point, it's you had sort of, at least I guess within Sweden, become known for this uh, soap opera, so right? Second Avenue, is that, yeah? Yeah. And it was the first season, it really... I love it's like me, Numi Rapaz, and Re Rebecca Ferguson, like three Swedish actresses. Okay, that that. We all have been in the only like three very large soap operas, one each in Weasel. <laughs> well represented. Well, um, so you you have this whole drawn out uh, process of getting the part in Pure, which we'll just say it's this Katarina troubled young secretary who becomes obsessed with classical music while, you know. Well, she becomes uh, obsessed with classical music kind of a way. She lives in the suburb, but she probably never have been introduced to it. Yeah. And because she becomes obs obsessed, she kind of pulls a few white lies to become a secretary to kind of get right, closer right, right. to the art that she's fallen so much in love with. So you're just 19 when you get this part? And... Am I? I'm just like, I can't even remember. It's 19, yeah, 19, yeah. <laughs> this is 2010 me. when it came out, but yeah, I think 19, yeah. you get the part. Was there any expectation that this movie could kind of find an international audience? We should know. You mentioned Numi Rapaz, and prior to her, I mean, really, there's Greta Garbo, there's Ingrid Bergman. So I would say, yeah, Greta Garbo and Ingrid Bergman, that was kind of the reference I actually had, which meant I didn't have any thought of that. <laughs> you know, that was just like a fantasy in a film for me. Um, but when I was shooting Pure, and fun fact is during that time, I remember I sat in the kitchen. She had just given me the part, Liz, and kind of invited me to her house to kind of like talk with the part. And then the uh, Pure is based on her own play. I was at the theater before that Numi Rapaz, where Numi Rapaz did the lead okay. of my part. So she was gone so by that point. So she knew, and she was like on the phone because she was like, you know, my actress and I know Numi. She's like, she's going to go to Cannes with him. And that was my, I was like, oh my God. How does this happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, that was like one of those, a Swedish actress that I know of is going to go to Cannes. And so that was, that happened during that time. So that was kind of the first time I kind of knew that it, maybe it's, you know, is it even possible nowadays? Well, so again, this movie, well-received around the world. In the meantime, I guess you start getting, you start hearing from people in the United States and abroad. I think you signed with UTA around that time. No, later? Oh, it's better story. In please, please, <laughs> better, great. No, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy. I, I So I, I done my uh, a Swedish film. I was going back to law school. But then I actually got one more Swedish film. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to give it whatever, two years, see what happens, you know? Because I always thought you had this to go to theater pure? school. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, so, and then I go back and, like, I do, yeah, studying. But then I get the part in the Danish film. And in one way, that is my first international part. I'm going away oh, from Royal Sweden. Affair, yeah. And I get to work with what, to me, was an international superstar, Mass Mikkelsen, already. Yes, yeah. Um, and, and then um, after that... You know, I probably during this time done like 20, 30 videotapes, you know, self-tapes for like, you know, international shows or English speaking things. And back then, I mean, this just, it's like to have a video camera, plug it in, put on the modem, try and load it up for seven hours. It didn't work. Being up at night, try again. I mean, it was like a couple of months full work that I spent doing that. Right. And I never heard anything back. I didn't get a no, or <laughs> yes, clearly, but I kind of get said, I was like, this doesn't work. I don't know why I'm doing this uh, to my Swedish agent. I was like, I think I need to do like, is it, if I get into the room at least and get to like meet a casting director and I, you know, I don't know, I think it will be maybe different, a human interaction. And then she said, she's like, well, you know, they're gonna try and find like a newcomer. They had just had Mia Wasiskowska in, Alice in Wonderland, and they were going to do um, uh, Snow White and the Huntsman. Yes. And I was like, sure. And I was like, so they, sh they do auditions in London? And I was like, I can save money and go to London. And she was like, yeah, I actually called the Thomas Narrator. And they were like, no, it's just like girls with a bit more experience. You know, but you can send one of those self-tapes. Mm -hmm. um, but then she had said, and I didn't really understand the meaning of like a general meeting, which I do now. Right. But they were like, yes, if you're ever in London, the costume director said, you know, she'll happy to meet you if you're there for a general meeting. And I was like, general meeting, great. And then three days later, I called my Swedish agent. I was like, yeah, I'm in London. 
She's like, what? She's like, no, I'm here like for a friend's concert. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, okay. So I was like, if, you know, I could have a general meeting if she wants to have right. one. <laughs> and did you? Cut to the last day. She calls me in the morning. She just called me. She's seen Pure overnight, your Swedish film. And she said, if you're here before 11, you get to do the casting. For Snow White and Asma. Yeah. So I got on a bus. Like, I got that. I remember she looked at me. She was like, do you have like a lipstick? Or like, you know, something like to do your hair. And I, I don't know, it's Swedish, you know, the culture. I was like, no, no. And she kind of like helped me look a bit more presentable and, you know, helped me with my lines. But then we did the thing. And then I went back. Yep. And then the other day I was at uh, Oxford Circus. I was um, uh, at Starbucks waiting for my bus to Stansted Express to take you back to the Ryanair flight. And I get a call. And that is like one of those film moments. So I get a full call and the, uh, they say, so they just called and they're bringing in for, for a screen test. No clue what a screen test was. Right. I was like, that sounds great, you know, and they're going to fly you to LA. To LA. And I've never been to LA. I've never been to like, and I break down. I was like crying so much. Like people, one guy came up to me and thought like I had a boyfriend who broke up with me on the first I'm just so happy. <laughs> so, you know, that journey out to Sansa Express, I like, I, it's a big memory. And that was when I went, I didn't get the part clearly, but Damn, um, within Stewart. those 24 hours, apparently like, you know, LA knew that I had been there. They said, I didn't know what that meant, but, but then I had like tons of agents that wanted to sign me and they actually all came here. So I got to interview them. It was wild. Right. Oh, so, they, so at that point then you... My Swedish and then actually I inherited Charles. I just met British representation and they, I kind of tell them, I mean, I wouldn't have, they're like, well, if you want to sign her, she'll be in Cannes. <laughs> so you can come here. So they flew in. Like, it's pretty like, quick yeah. turnaround from nobody no, caring. It was, it was absolutely wild. So... Meanwhile, a royal affair comes out at about the same time that Snow White and the Huntsman did. And it worked out fine because this is a movie that first time you're playing a, a queen, right? No. A regal or a regal. Uh, or no, had you previously? Yeah, yeah, in royal affair. Right, right. So you're playing, this is 18th century Denmark's Queen Carolyn Matilde gets involved with the court physician, Mads, played by Mads Mikkelsen, while King Christian descends into mental illness. This is the thing that the, the filmmaker, Nicolas Arcel, said was that he saw something, quote unquote, regal uh, about you. And I actually was thinking about it. it might come back to the dance, right? I mean, there's a sort of poise that comes with that, maybe. I think it might have, you know, yeah, yeah maybe I can like walk straight, straight up. <laughs> <laughs> Good posture. Yeah. Um, but that you know, this is a movie that goes on to be an Oscar-nominated film. It won the Berlinale. You get nominated for the BAFTA Rising Star Award. It really, again, it's if there's big steps along the way, this was a, maybe the next big one. And I just wonder, you know, anything specifically for you that stands out when you think back to that film? Well, that was even bigger. I mean, Nikolai took such a huge chance in me or trusted me and gave me this chance i mean as you know it's saying there's not a lot of films being like made in scandinavia obviously because the countries are you know it's smaller so when i look back that i had those like three first films that i made in you know scandinavia you know and they were you know incredible films and roles all of them is like you know of course made the biggest difference for my career uh, but I mean, Nikolai, it's amazing because I mean, the same thing. He, actually, the first time I went into audition, when I was sent the script, I recall the concert. I was like, but it's in Danish. Right. And she was like, yep. And I was like, but I'm not Danish. <laughs> I was like, so I had like my friends, like mom, who's half Danish, half Swedish, who like recorded the lines. And I mean, I didn't know this cut to like now, I think by the end of the film, Nikolai, Nikolai was actually, he said, you're dangerous, you're good, no, we should reshoot the film now. And I was like, don't say that with all the work I put in. You literally learned Danish yeah, I mean, in it's eight like, weeks? It's, and no, but I, I was there for three months before we started okay, shoot. Okay, but okay. I mean, it's not like uh, the, the language are clearly, you know, uh, uh, related a, a lot, you know, but, but I, when I started, I mean, the, the thing is, uh, I, when, he, when I came to Denmark for the last screen test with Mass, 
that night, same thing, he, you know, I saw Nikolai and then he said something and I was like, I've done so much of this smiling and nodding and trying to understand and my, my brain is like fried. And he said something and I was like, I'm just gonna go with it. I'm just like, you know, and he's like, said it again. And I was like, mm, yeah. And he's like, in English, I just gave you the puffles. <laughs> And I was so happy, and I was like, by that point, I was like, oh my God, he's already regretted it. How is this woman even gonna try and speak Danish? <laughs> you know, so that goes to how much, you know, yeah, I've got a lot to thank for Nick. Now, now that same year, 2012, as a result again of Pure, you are in your first English language film, Anna Karenina, you're Kitty, the flirtatious young woman who believes that uh, you know, she's she's entranced by the Aaron Taylor Johnson character, the Count, only to find love with the Donald Gleason character. Uh, this is Joe Wright's movie, very kind of expressionistic one. Uh, Karen Knightley, all these people around you. Jude uh, Law. Jude Law for the first <laughs> time. Yeah. So eleven years ago, you we and played Royals back then. Back too. then too. So I guess I I I wonder um, the circumstances under which that movie, which. It's a. It's really unusual. Just the whole way he approached the, you know, I think with almost like a proscenium, if I remember at the beginning, and all that. But the shoot itself was pretty grueling, wasn't it? Or at least a portion of it. I mean, it was pretty interesting because when I first got the part, it, I think you know what, you know, Jariah was had planned on doing a much more like traditional shoot. He was talk about you know we were going to go to Russia, shoot it there. And then I don't know if it was location, whatever reasons it was, I think he just felt like he couldn't do the vision that he had first like imagined. And then he was like, I'm just gonna, which I think is extremely impressive. He was like, well, then I'm gonna do my own thing. And he's like, I'm gonna set it all in this one stage. Uh, and uh, C.D. Lobby, which is an incredible choreographer. I was probably one of the few people actually like, oh my God, I knew it was, you know, I was like, wow. Right. Uh, you know, I got to work with these people that I don't think I would have been able to work with if I actually had been dancer <laughs> still. And uh, so, I mean, it was a lot of preparation, but I mean, it, it's like the beginning of the film, I actually saw, you know, it was a person next to me on a flight, not too long ago, a few years, who looked, it saw it. And it's almost like when I'm now a few years later, because I, I would say I kind of never go back and watch films that I've been in. But because of that, I saw the first scene. And it's, I think he's done an incredible job. It's like a one take. And I don't know, we spend a few days and then weeks obviously rehearsing that thing. And, you know, I think he really pushed boundaries of what you can do. So from there, that's, that's your big 2012. You go in 2013, The Fifth Estate for Bill Condon about the whole um, Julian Assange situation. We've got 2014 Testament of Youth, Vera Britton. And then 2015 is like a year, I think the only person who there's ever been anything like this in my memory was Jessica Chastain's 2011, I think, when she had like, you know, seven movies or something crazy that were all out at the same time. Obviously not all made at the same time, same with you, but here I think in different parts of the world, they were released different times. But in the U.S., I think it might have been five, yeah, six, five or six maybe. at the same yeah. time. So let's just kind of we're not going to go into all of them. But the two that really, I think, popped in a major way. First one comes out in April in theaters. That is Ex Machina. This is you playing Ava, an android for Alex Garland, who had never directed a film before. He's written the script which you've said when you read it was the best thing you'd ever read up to that point. What, what made it that? Because it's so concise. There's any, everything that needs to be there is there and nothing else. And that's kind of rare. You know, it's um, uh, great dialogue, a lot of like not much stage directions or explanations. It was kind of a lot of it you had to read, you know, or understand by reading the actual um, scenes and what happens in the scenes emotionally. It was, you know, just creating Eva. That was actually a self-tape I made from Perth in Australia. I remember I was shooting a film there and I'd, you know, read the script and I was like, I, it was one of those parts, I was like, I want this, I want this so, so, so bad. And I had that help, I told like a few, it was like so nice, it was like an assistant of the camera guy that I became friends with there and like another actor and like, you know, it's that kind of thing that they were like, we'll help you. 
So I was like, really? And they came off like 11 p.m. We were sitting in this like little apartment and we tried to light it. And I was like, you know, trying to figure out because there was no real description of what Ava looked like more than that she was an incredible machine. And and then so I was there, I took like, did the ballet, I made it a really tight bun. I really like lit it from the top on this kind of like reflective um, uh, table. And then I put like a whole like bottle of sunscreen and like, did it all on my hands. I was just like, God. An <laughs> but I was like, <laughs> and it kind of is like yeah. funny when I see the final version, there's still something in there, you know? So I was able to start creating a character and then, you know, Garland. Do you think the dance came in useful for that one as well? The dance back? Yeah, totally. I mean, that was one of the big things about me wanting to create this character was trying to figure out. I mean, I was at home, like trying to figure out how she walked and talks and, um, one of the things that I really realized was when I, it's a bit like when people say, oh, you play drunk, you should just try to not play, right. you know? And that was kind of the same with this Ava character. It was almost like, no, and I tried to make a human 2.0. And when I, when I kind of did her too good, like the human was too good at things, right. then it becomes a bit just jarring. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The big question, I guess, for viewers. And I imagine for anyone working on this film, does Ava possess consciousness? Now, you did you answer that for yourself? And then did you or did you discuss that with Alex? Because the whole thing looks very different depending on how one comes down on that question. Right. Yeah, we did discuss it a lot. And I thought about it all the time. Yeah. Um, Even more when I was doing it. Did you have an answer for yourself? Uh, no, I mean, I think in one way we live in a world where that question isn't, you know, even more prominent right now. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> so, but it was very interesting. And I think it like, it morphed and took tons. I think it changed a lot yeah. for even for me, but it was very interesting when I started to do press and interviews because it was people who came in and who were like really like upset, but for different reasons. One was super upset that they had put this like, young girl in a box and locked her in and one other was like oh my god that, you know she's out there in the world now <laughs> what is she gonna do you know right right so. now the other big big one of course from that year is the danish girl but that one obviously deals with with trans issues which we're gonna talk about that film and what it what it brought up but i found it interesting that you said there were plenty of people who also approached you with sort of the trans related topics for ex machina, right? Just being out of your body in a way or not feeling like, what was, what was that about? I'm trying to remember when I, well, I think you were saying that there were people that said, I, I, you know, if the trans people that said they kind of connected to Ava who may not be in the body that she. Yeah. I think it's, you know, her search of identity and finding that the true, you know, self and her outer shell and figure out what that is. Yeah. Yeah. And so then with the Danish girl, this is again, Ex Machina comes out in April in November, following a lot of film festivals and anticipation in November, Danish girl comes out, you joining Eddie Redmayne and Tom Hooper, who had already worked together at least once, maybe even more than that prior to that. Right. But just, uh, Gerda, the wife of, of Lily, one of the first people to receive gender reassignment surgery. Eddie, I think, has kind of uh, 
spilled the beans because I didn't, I didn't, I don't think he thought that you would that about how Tom reacted to your uh, audition or reading or whatever it was where he first saw you perform a scene from that. Can you share what happened there? No, I think, I mean, I think he said it was, uh, yeah, it, it just like it does sometimes when you do those things. I mean, I've been practicing at home and it's like on the page and it's like leading up when you're shooting, you're like, this needs to work. This scene is that kind of, you know, the, the peak, this is emotionally where you need to get to. And then of course, going in on a like, you know, screen test is very nerve wracking. And, you know, Eddie obviously had the part. I was nervous just meeting him and Tom. Um, but then, you know, when a scene like that is well written, and you what go was the for scene it, that you were you were asked it's, to do? It's it's the scene when she kind of comes home and she kind of asks, you know, I need you to support me now, you know, and um, uh, and when we made that scene, you know, that magic that happens normally when you actually on set, but got emotional, and then I think you know it can happen to other people in the room at the same time. Such as Tom. Uh, so He's no, a very sensitive guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously it was a um, amazing performance, but it almost, it feels like almost got, could have gone away altogether because after being offered the part in that, you're then offered the part in the uh, light between oceans. Yeah, they were going to go at the same time for, right. for some time. Yeah. So... Let's just think about for a second, correct me if I'm wrong, if you had not, if you had not done Light Between Oceans then, and they had, you would not have met Michael Fassbender, who you're... I'd met him as a dance floor. That's some, somewhere else, right? <laughs> and if you had, if you had not done The Danish Girl, the Oscar might have had to wait a little while longer, right? A lot of other things. So just was the fact was that the Danish girl people were willing to wait was it like seven months or something, so you could go and do. Was it that long? I don't know. No, uh, yeah, a few months. Yeah, a few yeah. months. And then you come back, and the film comes out at a time when, you know, I think really for the first time in in American society, people were really talking in. Um, large numbers about trans issues. This was right when Transparent was on Amazon. It's when Caitlyn Jenner was coming out and all of this. And then this film enters the conversation. Can you talk about just the sort of impact that it had from being in the in the eye of the storm? What was that like for you? I think, I mean, it's incredible to see where we're at now comparison to when Danish Girl come out. And it's one of those things where, I mean, in a good way, everyone's eyes have like opened up and like myself, my journey, you know, especially making the Danish girl was, you know, huge. Cause I got to, you know, personally meet and become friends and get help from so many people who wanted to help us and support us from the trans community. But it's one of those things, I mean, obviously with the conversations that are now, that film would probably not have been made in that way now. And it's only but not it's, even it, but it, you know, but it was one of the first steps. So in that sense, yeah. I feel like it was, you know, an important one for the con conversation to yeah. begin. Now, just a humorous side note, I think you're the only actual Scandinavian in the Danish girl. Yeah, and he was so like, you know, Tom was like, What are we gonna do? I was like, What? He's like, Yeah, are you willing to like go blonde? You know, he was like, you do not look very Scandinavian. And I was like, well, I mean, it's, uh, he's yeah. trying to say, I'm like the only Scandinavian person in this room. <laughs> but yeah, in the end I did. And what did they just like, blonde. they they like put makeup or something to like, what was it? Because you're. Yeah, they did actually. Yeah. I don't know if we could do so that right now. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. So that film premieres at Venice, then Telluride, then Toronto. And suddenly the whole world is talking about who is this newcomer Alicia Vikander how did you handle over those months leading up to the Oscars this sudden massive increased level of attention and also the promotional obligations that come with that everything that then culminates on Oscar night how did you acclimate to that I actually think, you know, the kind of the press commitments and doing those things in the end I don't think that that, that was kind of you were kind of on a, it's almost like 
you didn't reflect over it at all when it was happening because it was like it was like this train that came and it was obviously like something that was beyond anything I would ever have dreamed of. So you stand there and you're like, you're, you, you're kind of overwhelmed constantly, you know, and extremely like happy and fortunate what you get to experience and the rooms you're in, the people you get to meet, people are like, you know, and it was, and I think that I kind of loved. And then obviously it's like, it was more the kind of, you have your own idea of yourself. And then suddenly when you've never been in a public space, it's like, it's like seeing yourself from, from an outside perspective for the first time. You've never really like done that. You're talking about the way people are writing about you and... Yeah, and even like watching yourself, hearing yourself, it's kind of like getting to know, it's not saying that it's not you, yeah. but it's kind of like you get to like figure out whilst it's happening and it's happening in a very large way, what the kind of this version of this persona is. Could you enjoy it or was it, did it suck the fun out of it? I, th I actually say, I mean, I've talked about it. I think it was something I realized after it happened. I think when you, when I was in it, you know, it was like, I was really trying my best to like being, you know, cause it was, it was the biggest thing I've ever been through. You know, it's like, I can't deny that. But then at a certain point afterwards, it's almost like you've been through this huge thing. And, 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 and then, you know, I think, yeah, it's, it's, you're afraid. It's almost like you're afraid of not being as happy as you should be all the time because it is the most incredible thing that has happened. Do you see what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. So I think, and it you was know, a bit lonely, right? You've said. Yeah, I think, you know, being, that's one of the things. That was actually so, like, other actresses, older actresses that, you know, I looked up to and they were kind of checking in in a nice way. You're like, oh, I'm good, I'm good, you know. But, but it's that thing because you kind of realize not again, not so much you, but then it's like my girlfriends and my friends back home and almost all my friends are not in the industry. Yeah. So they kind of became even better at kind of seeing things. So they were like, hey, like you haven't been seeing and you haven't like literally been on a flight for two years yeah. and never like seen you've been home, yeah. you know. It's a lot. Um, just to put a cap around that topic, Oscar Knight, it's you and your mother. Can you, what, what will you remember most about Oscar Knight just with being there and with her and all of that? Yeah, well, my mother passed a few months ago. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So, oh, very sorry. So, of course, that was, you know, I've been, um, over the past few months, I've had tons of like family and friends who've been, you know, sending a lot of, sharing a lot of photos, a lot of love. Yeah. And we just had the memorial and like one of the most like shared photos I realized is the photo that I think someone, you know, was my dad or someone took of my mom and me that night. And my mom looked like fucking like a million. Yeah, yeah. No, you please. I can say that. Say whatever you want. <laughs> I'm allowed. Yeah. Um, you know, so now that night has even greater, you know, it's, I got to be the, and with she, her and, and she, she introduced to me it. to this and she got to see that yeah it's great after the craziness maybe a little bit calmed down uh or maybe this even might have started in the middle of the craziness you become part for the first time of something totally unlike of a scale unlike anything you've done before which is jason Bourne, the first you know the big reunion of paul greengrass and matt damon big summer action movie giant studio production, nothing that, I mean, you, you've done a lot of great work, but not on that kind of a, a scale before. Was what drew you to it just getting to get a taste of that or, uh, you no, know? No, because I was a huge chance You were, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, that was it, like the first thing I said to Paul when I met him. Yeah. Yeah. And so, did it live up to your expectations of what it's like? No, to, it was like, I mean, it was, I mean, it's kind of, funny when you're going to work and you're like the fan right. <laughs> so it takes a few days for you to like calm down but yeah is it harder to kind of control your performance or or do the things that had gotten you to that point you've done so well on more intimate projects is it harder to kind of control that when there's so much going on around you Yes and no. I think it's more that thing of getting to, a, you know, you get you get to a set and you see the, the scale of it. But actually, when it comes down to the work that actors and the director does, yeah. it, it's more that you realize, oh, 
actually that's the same. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, just to provide the contrast, that same year, even though it had been shot just before The Danish Girl, out comes Light, beyond, light Between Oceans. You, Michael, for Derek and France, who works about as polar opposite from a studio kind of way as anyone. Can you talk about, I mean, this is the guy who had done Blue Valentine. And I think at that point also already the place beyond Here's the pines. pines. And here you're playing this woman who with a World War I veteran played by Michael trying to have a child of their own. They end up taking uh in a child that maybe they shouldn't have. Uh, but the point is working in, can you describe the way that working with Derek works? Yeah, he's, um, he's like a method director. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's very much like, um, he, uh, I mean, and I think actually both Michael and I, we, we know, we realize we're, we're not method actors, but it was like, we were willing to, you know, try whatever he wanted and he he wanted you know to build these three full 360 sets uh but not in a studio in you know out in the real world this house where they lived like even the canned food that was like you know proper period where actually you could open and eat them you know and he was he i mean it was a bit tough i think for the crew sometimes in the sense that they were like not allowed on set in the house but then we kind of improvised our ways into scenes and made the scene and then somehow finished it off with some sort of tale and he just kept going and he never said he never said action or cut which made you sometimes just realize that you were probably in the scene already <laughs> and you're like realized by looking at everyone else um but i i mean i've that's actually one of the things i I love the most. I think now the more and more I realize with each film that I'm making, I'm very much like, I'm kind of game in the sense that, yeah, I, I mean, every actor, I do have my own way of pre preparing myself when I'm at home and, you know, but I've become more and more, I think in the beginning of my career, I'm more like, this is who I am, this is how I work. And I've become more and more like, when I meet a director, they were like, well, I do it like this. I was like, sure. <laughs> because it kind of gives you a new experience of a right. few months and kind of maybe just helps you to, actually break away and do something new yeah. because you don't feel like it's in the same routine that you made things before. Yeah. Uh, so in that sense, I really, you know, really, I, I absolutely loved working with Derek. How, and just the idea at that point, I don't think you, you or Michael knew each other before that to work. Did you, I, he had already established himself at that point. You had not yet gotten the recognition that came with Danish girl and all that. Um, did you, how did you find working with each other? No, I mean, it was great. We had actually met on his industry. Like, we met on two dance floors before. Really? Yeah. Actually, the first time Derek, like, you know, met, he was like, do you know Michael? And I was like, well, only, like, physically. <laughs> We've only been dancing. <laughs> uh, and we've never spoken, literally. Maybe it was, like, two hour sessions on two dance floors. Yeah. So in that sense, we had a feel of one another. But then we showed up on at rehearsals in New Zealand. And obviously, I mean... He's my husband, best friend now, but, right. and I, but I also consider him one of the best actors of his generation. No question, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so going in there, I kind of, I just knew I was, I just want to, you know, get up there and I'm going to try my very best to, go toe -to -toe. you know, yeah, to go toe-to-toe. Yeah. -to -toe. yeah. Totally. So the, one of the, I guess, very interesting and in a way sad things you said about the next movie Tulip Fever, 2017. This is a Tom Stoppard script. Justin Chadwick making it. You're playing this woman, the orphan wife of a wealthy merchant. It's sort of a love triangle. But what had you never experienced that you experienced for the first time on Tulip Fever? Working with Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> well, the, no, I wouldn't. That, that too. That isn't even where I was going. But yeah, he did take a producing credit. Yeah, that I'm sure was not one of yeah. the more memorable parts of that. But um, no, but I mean, not too many of your prior movies had dialogue between women, right? No, that was actually, that was a huge thing. I remember just saying when we were on set, we were, um, uh, you know, I kind of came out and I was like, I was just like, that was fun day. You know, and it was kind of whack when I, it was, and like Harney and I just looked at each other and realized, and I had, 
I think, I mean, I've said it before, but I had done like five films back to back leading up to that film yeah. where I was the lead and I didn't have one scene with another woman who wasn't like Lady Two or something. Or, or the trans character. But yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, that's kind of crazy. And you feel like things actually since then have have slightly gotten better in that regard or maybe is it still a problem, big problem? No, it has changed. Okay. I mean, it is wonderful in the sense that I mean, thinking back, especially when I like have memories of shooting like my first films like 12, 30 years ago, to, to now see women not only included in the scripts that I'm reading, but like now they're like gaffers, they're riggers, the camera crews. Uh, you know, it's just now, you know, for the next film I'm doing, and I looked and I was like, it's five only female producers, you know, and it's like things that I hadn't yeah. seen just yeah. a few years back. And no more Harvey Weinstein. So that's just another legacy of that one. But um, go back to another giant one with Tomb Raider. This is the reboot, of course, of the Angelina Jolie, Lara Croft part. Just um, should we assume that that was because it was, you know, I guess in this case, probably the most physically demanding thing you'd ever done in a film, right? I mean, yeah, for sure. Was that the appeal or what, what made you go for that? I mean, I, I mean, like just me the other day, I was super excited about the new Indigenous yeah. film. You know, I grew up with those films. Yeah. I, I love, especially like the matinee kind of adventure films were some of my favorite alongside like Star Wars and sci-fi's and so, and I was a girl who, I did like, I remember when I was first introduced, uh, friends, like dad had a computer and I was like really kind of interested in those things, you know, and, uh, and he had a, a game and I remember I was there and I got to play it you and my girlfriend was like so annoyed because I really didn't <laughs> like want to leave this thing. <laughs> and then after that, that, that was like something that I kind of hid, you know, it was like, I didn't tell girlfriends cause they didn't really seem to enjoy it as much as I did, but right. I really like computer games. Yeah. So I had played Lara Croft when, you know, the first games, even though I was terrified mm -hmm. of the bear and like, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, so, so then to even like suddenly be in a conversation again with someone was like, we're going to make a reboot. <laughs> I was like, that was super just cool. Yeah, sure. 2020, you're young Gloria Steinem and Julie Taymor's The Glorious. 2021, we mentioned Blue Bayou, the nurse married to a man facing deportation. We also get to hear you sing the Linda Ronstadt oh song. My God. I didn't know that you, did you no, always sing? Or? I will tell you, I mean, so I, I, I mean, I, like I, like I had seen Justin's Goop, like his first film. So I did a brilliant job and met him thing. He's such a, you know, interesting young filmmaker. I read the script and I was like, also, I got to play a part there. Talking about like at the beginning of my career, I was kind of get to play these royals. Yeah, and for right. a long time, they were like, well, she's kind of British and she's kind of like, you know, from a very like nice background and it was actually quite far away from the reality. And in one way to tell much more, you know, like a blue collar, like, you know, middle class, like real human story yeah. was something that I think I wanted to for a long time, but no one really saw me in that space. Posture's uh, too good. You got to No, but then I got to do it. And, but then of course I called him up and I was like, but what about, I was like, I've been, uh, you know, cause I, Lena Rosa is incredible. But I was like, that's a tricky song. Yeah. It's like, I was like, have you tried to sing yourself? <laughs> and, and then I was like, maybe I can do another song. He was like, the script is cool. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And then we came to the day and you know, it is such an incredible, powerful song. But it was one of those moments, it was sweet because it happened at some point, maybe in like on my first film, maybe when I did my Danish film, when I found myself and this was like 2 a.m., we were in this uh, Vietnamese like little band that were gonna play with me and about 60 extras. And I go up on stage just to like, you know, light, you know, prepping for the scene. And then I look down and I'm, I'm shaking. Like I'm actually like so nervous. And I was like thinking, I was like, wow, I have, this has not happened in like over 10 years, I think. And I said, so okay, let's say now, now are you going to do something? You're actually going to do something that you're like terrified of doing. Uh, but then I did it. And I really, that's like my, probably my favorite scene in the end. And you maybe because, nice of, because of that. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I mean, even your speaking voice, I think is, is 
cool. But anyway, <laughs> um, all right. This brings us. Well, first, actually, we can't gloss over 2021, The Green Knight, uh, David Lowry. A lot of people really love that. Very unusual film. You and Dev Patel, 2022, again, Irma Vep brought you here. I think your first time really doing television since the soap opera days yeah. um, with Olivier Asias. Very, like, meta in every way. He's remaking his own thing, which is about... And I even got lost. Yeah, it's hard to, <laughs> let me see the way it's described. An American movie star who is disillusioned by her career and recent breakup comes to France to star in a remake of a French silent era classic. I mean, it's it's a lot to keep track of, but you did you did get to show maybe more of a uh, comedic side of yourself than you'd had. Kind of a lighter side. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and I think that's something I really, I mean, I'm still, I, I'm longing to do. Yeah, yeah. And that was one of those kind of conversations that, that you know, because I've known Olivia for a few years, or so we've been meeting up when I'm in Paris sometimes. And it was nice because we were both kind of in that place. He was like, I just want to do something fun. I was like, yes. I was like, me too. <laughs> right, and I was, right. so it was kind of, it was a wonderful thing to get to kind of let go a bit more. And then here we are with this sort of full circle. Very different. Moment that we're back here with Firebrand. You are back as a queen and not just any queen. This is Catherine Parr, the, again, the sixth and final wife of uh, Henry VIII, played by Jude Law in Cream Anuses. Is that the proper pronunciation? I She's uh, Firebrand, his first English language film that he's directing based on Elizabeth Fremantle's 2013 novel, Queen's Gambit. The movie title has changed for obvious reasons. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Anya Taylor-Joy. It's a good uh, title. Yeah, it's a good title. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I guess the the rhyme or whatever about uh, Henry VIII, where they go through the wives, right? Divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. Um, so what can you tell us about as far as what did you know going into this about Catherine and what made you want to play her? Um I mean, one of the first things that I realized myself was, you know, I think I'm like a lot of, you know, I lived in the UK for about seven years. I've had that as my base. Um, and I guess, you know, comparing to a lot of my British friends, I didn't grow up in school reading as much about that history. But throughout the past few years, I mean, the Tudors have been like, You've been fed that story, you know, a lot on TV and, and film. So, but but then I was like, well, I almost felt embarrassed. I was like, I probably know the least about Catherine Barr out of all of them. And then I realized that that is definitely the general totally. field around. And it's interesting. And that's kind of just because she was the only one who didn't die, right, right. I think. You know, which is just true. It's a kind of human, yeah, no, it's like human nature, what people are kind of, you know, yeah, leading towards what kind of stories. And um, uh, and then, you know, immediately then when I actually read up about this woman and realize that she's like, yeah. And the fact that no one really cared about the fact that she was like the first woman in British history who published books under her own name. I was like, that's quite a big thing in history. <laughs> and <laughs> I'd never heard. Knowing what had happened to her predecessors was still kind of... Uh, activist, well, palsy, even uh, kind of under the nose of her husband uh, in terms of... Oh, she had to learn how to manage this right. relationship. And that was also what interested me when I read the script that, you know, it's in a, in a kind of a um, uh, pulling... Uh, we, we, you know, because of the play, we made an artistic decision, uh, the writers to to, you know, set this, that the court is now left to a smaller castle, which m makes the story a bit more intimate. And when the whole story is kind of set within those rooms. Um, and, you know, it's it's really a, kind of them become more, you know, about this relationship drama and about, well, domestic abuse. And also about then the kind of, you know, managing this danger and person next to you all the time and having to do things that you, you don't agree with, but you know, to like, to, to kind of move forward, to survive even, you have to be very delicate and very clever. And, and I saw, you know, the, the kind of portrait of this woman and her closest women. I mean, I didn't know, I mean, because we did a lot of research. We had like these incredible people who came and were like Tudor experts. They like lived 
like into the Tudor towns for like six months once in a while. I mean, pretty incredible people. Um, uh, but just to know that there were like 300 men normally staying at the castle all the time and like eight to 12 women. I was like, just that image of these, like this little group of women. Right. This Got to stay together, yeah. Man. So you mentioned the abusive relationship there in the movie. That is made very real and creepily so by Jude Law, who is almost unrecognizable and fantastic in this. I mean, just some of the stuff which I imagine might be uh, truly true to the historical record, but like referring to himself always in the plural, like we think that, you know, just so many things there are, are creepy as hell. You had again worked with him 11 years earlier. Did did that, was that helpful? Was it, how did you and he decide to tackle this? I mean, in, in Akronina, we didn't have any scenes right. at all, but it was one of those things where, I mean, talking about that other previous time when I probably had been shaking was my, my first English speaking film. Right. And working with like Kira Knightley and Jude Law and like, and, and he was, and Kira, they both were so like sweet to everyone, especially like me who came new. And you know, that really like, Maybe it's something he didn't think of, but when you're a young actor, it means so much. And I could see how he, uh, you know, managed like the entire crew. He's like the nicest person and he's an incredibly hard working actor. And so I just, when I heard that he was attached to do it, because he was before the film came to me, uh, I, and, and with like films I've seen him do over the past few years and interesting roles he's taken, I just knew he was going to do an incredible job uh and when i i mean when i then came on he had already you know been in talks kind of they were you know trying to find finders for a long time and he had been like you know knowing kareem then for quite a while and then to kind of backtrack the preparation he'd done was pretty incredible i mean i had i had like a few weeks to like catch up but i almost also again i felt like i wanted to try and like get to a point where i really get to match him because yeah. You know, he, when the day he stepped out on set, that was a fully formed, like, character. And, I mean, he's doing, like, one song, one of his real, like, songs in the yeah, film, yeah. And, and does the piano all himself. I mean, that was one. He could do the whole repertoire. He could just continue. It did a new song for each scene that, that's not in the film. It's very, very creepy performance. It's, like, to me, it's up there with, like, Hannibal Lecter or something. It's, but... uh Great for great job by both of you. And I, I wonder, you know, the world premiere is tomorrow night air, 7.30, right behind us at the Pele. Um, the film is up for U.S. acquisition still. In a moment like this, when you're about to share a passion project with the world, is that, uh, do you feel excitement, nerves? What's this moment like for you? I can't, you know, like I said, it's my, it's my first time in yeah. my career. I've never been in, in competition. Uh, in competition. So obviously, I'm like thrilled, you yeah. know, that is really like a huge thing yeah. to be part of. And, and you know, when you do have a film that you, uh, you know, really loved making and just meeting, uh, meeting Jude today, I think, Kareem last night, it's, you know, it's that thing you're getting back with the gang. Yeah. And I think we're all like, we couldn't think of a better home, a better place to release this film to the world. Totally. So last question is just, you know, here we are, um, again, approximately a decade ago, you were here for the first time, just thrilled to have a couture dress to wear. Um, a lot has happened in those intervening years. Um, when you think back about just how much has happened in a relatively short amount of time, um, how do you process that? And also, are there things that are, are there specific things that are, you know, still on the to-do list? If we sit down here in another, you know, 10, 11 years or whatever, you hope you will have gotten the chance to do. I think I'd heard you talk about directing once, just different things. So rather than me answering it for you, please, what what's uh, State of the Union and hopes for the future? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, to, 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 kind of, to kind of be, you know, I've been, loving being part of projects from early and earlier stages and yeah i hate to kind of put it out but it's nice i should put it out into the world more i think you know creating films is something that i realize is actually what i love making and obviously acting in them is a part of it but there's so much more to it that i think i would love to kind of try at some point yeah that's probably like 
a big one, a scary one. Well, I have no doubt you will do it soon and well. And thank you so much for coming and doing this. Really appreciate it. Alessia Vicada. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate it and would really appreciate you taking just a minute more to subscribe to the podcast and to leave us a rating and review on your podcast app. And to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, where our handle is at Awards Chatter. On those platforms, we announce upcoming guests and provide details about special live recordings of the podcast that you can attend. Until next time, thanks again for tuning in. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs>